Over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the ministry of a man known as Philip the Evangelist. Philip in Acts chapter 8 is not the same person as Philip the Apostle. We likely first meet him in Acts chapter 6 as he is one of the seven who were chosen along with Stephen to care for the needs of the widows in the church in Jerusalem. Here in chapter 8, however, he clearly has the gift of evangelist. As Carol Smith shared with us in her sermon a couple of weeks ago, after the persecution broke out against the Christians in Jerusalem, everyone but the apostles was scattered, and Philip found himself in Samaria, a place and a people toward whom the Jews felt great animosity. While Jews and Samaritans technically probably had a lot in common, the stark differences between them were about race and theology, and therefore, to some degree, even politics. What does Philip do? This, this was not his plan. This was not how he thought things would go. Jerusalem, the holy city, is no longer kind to him or his fellow followers of Jesus. And so Philip could have lost focus. He could have given up. Instead, he saw this unfortunate turn of events not, not merely as a threat, but as an opportunity to adapt his ministry and to continue the mission. To use the term from the business world that has in this pandemic come to mean something for many sectors of society, Philip pivoted. He took the strengths and the opportunities before him and he turned them toward rather than toward toward them rather than sending spending all of his time trying to get back to Jerusalem, back to the past, to the glory days. No, Philip had bigger fish to fry. Our good news this week comes to us from the song we sang earlier and from Jesus' parable of the shepherd, like God, who leaves the ninety-nine sheep who are safe to go and find the one lost sheep. The love of God in Christ leaves the ninety-nine and fights until we are found. The love of God in Christ leaves the 99 and fights until we are found. There's a meme someone sent me early on in this pandemic. It simply said this, The church is not empty. The church has been deployed. The church is not empty. The church has been deployed. For even though we've had restrictions placed on us, our mission to know God, to follow Jesus, and to pursue God's purposes in the world has not changed. Our, our calling to the ECC touchstones of welcome, transformation, and presence has not changed either. Philip and others may have felt the same. It could seem that Jerusalem was basically empty of followers of Jesus when, in fact, they had been deployed into the mission Jesus had announced to them back in Acts chapter 1. For us, the question is, how will we reach others with whom we can barely spend any time? How will we be the presence of Christ to those with whom we can rarely gather? What will the path uh, toward true transformation and Christiformity look like now? How can we welcome people who simply may not want to join us or for whom it might be unwise to join us in public worship when we resume our gatherings? How will we, like Philip, pivot? Church, following Jesus, fellowshipping with sisters and brothers, worship, like so many areas of life, have all changed drastically in the past couple of months. And If you're like me, you may wonder how we're all really supposed to live into our mission with things the way they are. And we don't know how long these things are going to go on in some form or another. Maybe, maybe we just need to lay low. Maybe there's simply not much we can do. Maybe we'll just eat more and spend more time online and binge watch the latest thing on Netflix or Hulu. But I would suggest to you that the mission hasn't changed one bit, regardless of the circumstances. But we may need to pivot in some new directions to continue to pursue God's purposes in the world. Speaking of binge-watching... Over this stay-at-home order, I've been watching up on some Star Trek. So my brain is sort of soaked in its lore and its, in its ethos. Last week's sermon title was about faithful Jewish people boldly going where no one had gone before. This week, I was reminded of something in Star Trek known as the Prime Directive. 
Um, I'll just say now that if you're not a Star Trek nerd or whatever, you might want to go get a cup of coffee right now. According to the Star Trek Encyclopedia, the Prime Directive, quote, prohibits Starfleet personnel and spacecraft from interfering in the normal development of any society and mandates that any Starfleet vessel or crew member is expendable to prevent violation of this rule. In other words, Starfleet takes the Prime Directive pretty seriously, at least on paper. So, for example, all you Star Trek nerds and all you Trekkies and Trekkers, we humans did not officially meet any alien life forms until Zephram Cochran developed the first engine capable of warp travel in 2063. That's only 43 short years away, friends. That happened in the film Star Trek First Contact, I believe. There, the Vulcans showed up to help us discover the way forward, but only once we had reached a certain technological threshold when we were ready. Their protocol became the basis for what later became the prime directive for Starfleet. I believe that we who follow Jesus have a prime directive too. However, if we take our cue from Philip in the latter half of Acts chapter 8, and indeed the whole of the New Testament, our prime directive bends toward the opposite of Starfleet's prime directive. If theirs is about not interfering with the natural development of society, ours is about stepping in and getting involved. Ours is about being present in the world as agents of change and redemption. It's about loving our neighbors as we love ourselves and making disciples wherever we go. But to add an important caveat, the caveat is that what, what we see at work in Acts chapter 8, we do, not, we do not do it on our own strength. We learn to listen to and respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit first and foremost. Today is Ascension Sunday in the church year. We commemorate the day Jesus ascended and promised the coming of his Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, just before Jesus ascends, he says to his first disciples in response to their questions about the end times, he says this, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In Matthew's account, Jesus gives his disciples what we call the Great Commission. There, just before he ascends, he says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. In these two passages, and in those that also mention Jesus' great commandment, we have a prime directive too. Love God, love our neighbors, and make disciples. Love God, love our neighbors, and make disciples. Our mission statement translates this as to know God, follow Jesus, and pursue God's purposes in the world. Now, over the past two Sundays, Philip the Evangelist has been uh, keeping the prime directive in a new setting, Samaria. In today's passage, however, we will, uh, he will have the opportunity to take it uh, still further to the ends of the earth. Verse 26 of chapter 8. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man has gone to Jerusalem to worship. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. 
Things are going quite well in Samaria. Why not stay and keep this ministry going? Philip could have thought. But for whatever reason, Philip's posture was one of listening for the voice of God, the leading of God, not, not assuming he had it all figured out. And through an angel, God sends him from Samaria, north of Judea and Jerusalem, to the desert road that runs southwest from Jerusalem to Gaza. This means Philip has to travel a ways just to get there from Samaria. And when he gets there, he comes across an Ethiopian eunuch on his way home from Jerusalem. Ethiopia is often known in the Old Testament as Cush. So in Zephaniah 3.10, for example, God says, From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. And in Psalm 68.10, we are told, Envoys will come from Egypt. Cush will submit herself to God. Furthermore, in ancient Greco-Roman thought, Cush was considered to be, quote, the ends of the earth. So persecution ended up leading to the beginning of the last phase of the mission in the book of Acts. Why? Because Philip sought to listen to the Holy Spirit and to pivot in a new direction, regardless of the circumstances. He had come to believe that God's love in Christ fights until we are found and leaves the comfort of the 99. And so Philip goes where the Spirit leads. And who is this Ethiopian eunuch? What do do we know about him? There's some debate uh, about whether he is truly a Gentile or not. The InterVarsity Press Dictionary of the Later New Testament and its developments refers to this man as, quote, a black African Jewish sympathizing Gentile, a God-fearer. He was also a eunuch, a young man or boy who was likely a slave and had been emasculated. Sorry for the PG-13 imagery there. This was so that he might be trusted not to engage in any inappropriate relationships with others in the courts of the rulers who had enslaved him. He may have been a Jew who was enslaved and forced to become a eunuch, or he may have been a Gentile who who had come to faith in the Jewish God. The main point, however, is not whether he is Jewish or Gentile. That will come later in Acts. The main point is that according to Jewish law, Old Testament law, this man would not have been allowed into the temple to worship in Jerusalem where he had just been. Deuteronomy 23.1, Leviticus 21.20 state that such men were not allowed in the temple and were excluded from the community. According to the ancient historian Josephus, castrated males were, quote, abhorred by Jews. To top it all off, eunuchs were denied something very important in the ancient world, descendants. Without a family line, his name would have perished. He would not be remembered, and in that day and age, this was a disgrace. So what we see here in Philip is a rather stunning illustration of our ECC touchstones of presence and welcome. Philip is sent by God to this man as an agent of change and redemption. He connects him. He connects with him at this point, at his point of need. He interacts with him, disgraced, excluded, and abhorred man that he is. He interacts with him with hospitality and grace and community for all people, even those who have been excluded in the past. An angel of the Lord has directed Philip to go down to the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip does not get or have a strategic plan. He only gets the next step. Now, I'm not opposed to strategic planning, but we'd better hold whatever plans we have loosely. Our plans for basically every single facet of our ECC ministry have all undergone tremendous changes in recent weeks. If we didn't know that we needed to hold our plans loosely before, we do now, as does the rest of the world. If we at ECC had come up with a five-year strategic plan in the past year, it would have been up for review. All of it would have been up for review and perhaps rather drastic revision in the midst of this pandemic. What's more, not only does Philip not get a strategic plan or even a second step, he doesn't even get a why. 
The angel simply says, simply says, go, and he goes. And sometimes we will get nudged from the Spirit, but we will not get all the details. We will not get the five-point plan or even the rationale we might like to have. But Philip goes anyway. Doesn't have all the details, and he goes anyway. And whereas it was an angel who spoke the first time, now it is the Holy Spirit. Go to that chariot and stay near it, the Spirit says. And again, Philip listens. Verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. Twice God has directed Philip to take action, to take certain steps. This third time, however, there is no direction from the Spirit, no angelic voice. Philip just takes action that seemed right to him. He hears the man reading and he asks him a question. Sometimes, friends, That's how God leads us as well. Yes, the posture of listening to the Spirit is important, vital, I believe, but once that becomes our default, our way of life, perhaps then we are better able even to intuit what God wants of us at a certain time a little better. Perhaps this is part of what it means for us to become truly Christiform people. As Christ is formed in us, Galatians 4.19, God's divine nature becomes our second nature. As we become more and more like Jesus, we are able to sense God's leading as a natural or supernatural part of our being. As Peter says, we share in God's divine nature. Philip hears that the Ethiopian is reading from the prophet Isaiah, and so he asks, do you understand what you were reading? He meets this man where he is, not where he wishes he were. Philip, in obedience to the Spirit and in tune with God's heart and mission, Philip makes himself present to the Ethiopian. He is sent into the world as an agent of change and redemption for one who was formerly excluded from the kingdom of God. All of us are are sent into the world in which we live too. Some of us are sent as missionaries to other parts of the world or, or to other cultures. Why? Because we know. We know that the love of God in Christ chases us down and fights until we're found. In this we demonstrate and proclaim the universal reign of God in Christ. And so being as present as he can to his neighbor, Philip asks, do you understand what you are reading? Verse 31. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Philip does not barge in on this man. He he does not yell at him from the street corner through a megaphone. He responds to an invitation. He listens to the Spirit. He listens to the person to whom the Spirit leads him. And he listens to Scripture. We can learn from that. He listens to the Spirit. He listens to the person to whom the Spirit leads him, and he listens to Scripture. And in that Scripture, he discerns all the ways the passage points to Christ. Verse 32. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. The passage the Ethiopian is reading from uh, in Isaiah is one many people have wrestled with for centuries. Many people, even today, would ask the same question the Ethiopian asked. Tell me, who is this prophet talking about? 
The early church saw these passages, in addition to whatever else they may have been referring to, they, they saw them as referring to Jesus and his suffering. And this is probably the most significant prophetic passage that is applied to Jesus and to his crucifixion, his death in the New Testament. This is how early Christians came to understand Jesus. Now, we don't know all that Philip said to the eunuch, but here is what I can easily imagine took place. Philip tells him about Jesus, his suffering, his death. Maybe he even rereads the verse that speaks of the suffering servant as not having any descendants. And he draws a parallel between Jesus and the eunuch. They're both cut off from their descendants. You see, Jesus was not unlike you, Philip perhaps says. No one can speak of his descendants just as no one can speak of yours. And then maybe Philip goes beyond Jesus' suffering and death and tells him about his resurrection, his ascension, the coming of God's Holy Spirit. And then maybe he turns to the eunuch and he says something like this. Hey, You know how you just went to Jerusalem to worship, but you weren't even allowed in the temple? You know how excluded you felt and still feel? You know that shame you're feeling? Take a look at this. And then maybe Philip rolls the scroll of Isaiah another 36 verses ahead. Just three chapters, although there weren't chapters and verses back then. And then he reads from Isaiah 56. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And suddenly this man... This man who was once abhorred and excluded from the temple and cut off from the community, now he knows that he is, in fact, cherished by God, loved by God. And he's welcome to enter into the kingdom because of Jesus. Because of Jesus and because of Philip's willingness to step out of his, to listen to the Spirit and step out of his comfort zone. This Ethiopian, this man, experiences the reckless love of God as we sang about earlier. It chases me down. It fights till I'm found. It leaves the 99. And then let's see what happens in verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Because Philip was willing to pivot, to turn toward the Holy Spirit and to listen for God's leading, the prime directive of love of neighbor and going into all the world to make disciples, even to the ends of the earth, to those who were formerly excluded, the prime directive has become a reality. God's love has left behind the 99 to find the one who is lost and excluded. Christian tradition tells us that this queen of Ethiopia, for whom the Ethiopian eunuch worked, did in fact come to faith in Jesus because of the eunuch's testimony. She and her husband, who reigned from 25 to 41 AD, promoted faith in Christ to her country and to those countries that surrounded Ethiopia. Kind of makes you wonder what stories will be told about the year 2020 and how we, the Church of Jesus Christ, pivoted 
turned toward the Spirit and sought to adapt our mission. What will they say about ECC in 10 years or 50? What might they say if we learn from Philip what we can here? How are we to respond to Philip's example to us in Acts 8 and the, and the reckless love of God that fights till we're found and leaves the 99? Look at him. He's gone from being scattered by persecution to sharing the good news of Jesus with his enemies, the Samaritans, to reaching out and including those who were formerly excluded and abhorred. And he's done so by listening for the voice of God and being open to being used wherever he is. Any of us can do that. Be open to be used by God wherever we are, if we learn to listen to the Spirit. As we respond to this, I want to invite you to take up the mantle of praying for your neighbors. We've been deployed. The church is not empty. We've just been deployed. We are on a continuing mission. And that mission means tuning ourselves to God's Spirit, listening to our neighbors and praying for them. So I want to invite you to sign up on the website, blesseveryhome.com, where you will Enter your address and you can sign up to receive nudges to pray for your neighbors by name. It starts there. And then as you make contact with your neighbors, as you hear their stories, as you engage in our BLESS Intentional Evangelism Initiative, you can keep track of your prayers, your connections with your neighbors, and where you sense God is leading you to bear witness to them of the good news of Jesus. For this is our prime directive. There are several ways you can get to the link and connect to the website. First, we really want you to make use of the Bible app we, we talk about quite often. Uh, go to wherever you buy your apps, get the Bible app that looks like this, and uh, download it and look for live events. Go to the More section of it, click on it, look for events, and we should pop up there. Every week we have information, questions, resources in the Bible app live event. And we have placed this week... We placed in there a link that will take you straight to ECC's account at blesseveryhome.com where you can sign up to pray for your neighbors. You can also see that link written in an announcement in the bulletin that we uh, link to each week that you can download. And we're going to post it on our private Facebook group later today. If all else fails, if you can't get to it any of those ways, email me at slittlefield at ecclife.net and I will send you the invitation. So let's get started praying for our neighbors and listening to the Spirit. And then second, let's, let's take a page from our wonderful children's moment and the Christian and Josh show, special guest star Lily. Let's take a walk in our neighborhoods and let's practice noticing things. Notice nature, notice creation, notice people, and ask if God might have something to teach you in those observations. Ask if the Spirit might be speaking to you about how to pray for people or houses you see or the people in those houses, whether you know them or not. Maybe the Spirit will teach you things to pray for. Let's practice listening to the Spirit, noticing where God is at work and what God is saying. In an article from the Financial Times recently, uh, it, it looked into the impact that COVID-19 and the pandemic has had on faith. Has it weakened the faith of most people or has it made it stronger? A Pew Research Center survey discovered that for every group on the chart, except for agnostics and atheists, understandably so, the percentage of people who say that the coronavirus crisis has strengthened their faith is 10 to 20 times or more higher than those who say it's made their faith weaker. What might the Spirit be saying to us here? What opportunities might await us as things begin to open up in the coming weeks and months? Or as they move back and forth between open and restricted, whatever the future holds, we don't know. 
How can we model our lives after Philip as he's done, uh, as, as he's done more than once in, in the book of Acts chapter 8? How can we pivot our lives and mission toward these opportunities? In verse 40 of Acts chapter 8, we find out that Philip ended up in Caesarea, a town with a mixed population of Jews and Gentiles still in the region of Samaria, a difficult place, as I said, for a Jewish person to live. In Acts 21, we find out that Philip uh, stayed there. It is in uh, his house that the Apostle Paul and his companions stay on their way to Jerusalem. So Philip pivoted for good. He stepped into the new reality and he stayed there like a missionary. He stayed where God had sent him. That's how committed he was to the prime directive. How committed will you and I be now in this current moment and in the months and years to come, whatever they may look like? How can we stop longing to get back to the past, whatever that was, and lean into the future and pivot toward whatever the Spirit is leading us to do as we seek to accomplish our mission, our prime directive to know God, to follow Jesus, and to pursue God's purposes in the world. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the gift of our brother Philip, for his sensitivity to your Spirit and his obedience. I thank you, God, that your Spirit, that same Spirit, is with us today and can empower us and lead us and speak to us. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn in the days to come to listen and, and to hear your voice and to respond in big and small ways. And I pray, Lord God, that we would catch a vision of this incredible, reckless love that you have for us and for all people and your good creation, that you would pursue us, that you would fight for us, that you would tear down every obstacle, Lord, to bring us into the kingdom. And I pray, Lord God, that we would be, first of all, if we do not yet know you, that we would answer that call. And second of all, Lord, if we do know you, that we would be, in, uh, that we would be filled with a passion to pursue the mission, Lord God, to be a part of that reckless love that goes forth into the world and tears down every barrier that others might come to know you and come into a relationship with you and come to join us. And may you receive all the glory, all the praise, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.